Hey everybody, I'm Tim Muma, and you've checked into one of our latest creations on LJN Radio, a new podcast called You Do What? Now here we examine a variety of non-traditional jobs that lets you know that you have many options in your career. You just need to utilize your skills to succeed. It's more of a laid-back approach, but we do give you some serious tips and advice. Now, an unfortunate reality does exist in the world. Crime and other tragedies do affect individuals every day. Sometimes it may entail a scene or environment that needs to be safely, effectively, and efficiently cleaned up, especially if you're dealing with items like blood, decomposition, or even hazardous chemicals or other toxins. Our guest today works in that field and helps take care of all these types of scenarios. We're joined today by Robert McKeever, who is a senior field technician for the California-based Crime Scene Stericlean. Robert, great to have you on with us today. Uh, great to be. First and foremost, really, if you could give us a, a quick summary rundown of, of really what your job entails and, and sort of what you, what you do over there. Okay. Well, uh, like you said, I'm a senior field technician, and our main job is to clean up biohazard and biohazard in form of bodily fluids. 99% of the time, the body is removed and gone when we arrive. And our job is to remove all biohazard in the form of bodily fluid. So that would be blood, any fluid from the brain, anything that may have come out of the body that has blood in it. And from the smallest speck to the largest pool, uh, all biohazard needs to be removed before we leave the job. So, you know, obviously this is something I don't think people necessarily think about, uh, you know, that needs to be done. I guess what attracted you to this? How did you get into the field? Uh, I, I just give us a quick rundown of how you even got into this area. Well, sure. No, I totally understand. I mean, I'm like a lot of those people. I didn't even know this job existed right. until I, until I uh, you know, found it. And basically, it was nothing I was kind of looking for. It kind of found me through some mutual friends. I was in the construction fields here in California. And uh, as everybody knows, the economy kind of uh, took that away from me. I was looking for something else. At the time, it was just kind of part-time work. Mm -hmm. And so it worked out because I was able to do both. And uh, I kind of found, got a passion for it and asked if I could come on board full-time. And they took me on. And So with something like this, I mean, is there an education side to it? I mean, is there a certain path you need to take? Is it more just sort of about getting your feet wet and getting the experience? I guess what is sort of the path actually into into this area of, of cleaning up these, these scenes? Right. Yeah, I mean, that's a big question that we get a lot. And everybody says, you know, do you go to school for it? Or do you? is there a training class that you need to take? And um, the reality of it is, is no. I mean, everything's done um, by the company that you work for. If it's a legitimate, good company, they mm -hmm. do all the training for you. It's really something that you can't train for. It's something <laughs> that you kind of, it's, you just kind of jump in uh, get your feet wet and, and you go in and you do it. There is, by state law and regulations, you do have to have bloodborne pathogen training. Sure. And that's something that is done in-house by the by the owner or the uh, managers here uh, at our business. But uh, it's something that you could take uh, online by yourself and already have that if you wanted to apply to one of these positions. Or it's something that they provide for you once they hire you. So it's really, I mean, as you said, it's, it's something you can just quick do online. I say quick, but, you know, something you can do online as opposed to getting a degree in, in, in an area or uh, an organization right. will do it for you. Well, that, I mean, that is interesting. I mean, yeah. as you said, people aren't probably really sure what this all entails. So Right. A lot of people confuse us with, you know, um, crime scene investigators sure. and, and or coroners or something along that nature. We are a private company. Um, like I said, there's no course that you could take really 
uh, besides the training that the company itself offers. So I'm actually going to ask about that real briefly. Um, in terms of working with police departments or other other organizations, you know, with, with some, when something happens, say, um, you know, there is some sort of chemical uh, occurrence happening, I guess, do you have partnerships with these types of organizations? Is it just a, a contract situation? How does that work in terms of who you're working with? Yeah, it's a very good question. A lot of, again, a lot of people, you know, you just don't know, unfortunately, until uh, something like this happens in your life, and then you start realizing what things, you know, what steps need to be taken. Mm-hmm. Again, we're a private company. We don't, we're not uh, necessarily hired by the cities or anything like that. If something happens tragic in your home, unfortunately, it's up to the homeowner to figure out what to do with it and really? how to clean it and who to use. And the city is 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 legally not allowed to tell you, hey, go use so-and-so company to have this cleaned up. That's a conflict of interest. So we do have contracts for police departments, and we'll go and we'll clean their items, let's say their their vehicles or their jail cells, if they have an inmate that maybe was bleeding or um, vomited in the back of the car, something, <laughs> something along that lines. We will go work for them specifically. Okay. But if they come across a scene, a murder scene or something, they can't call us and say, hey, come out to this house and clean it up. Why don't we look into that a little bit in terms of uh, sort of walking us through your typical day. And obviously, I, I know with, with most positions, such as something like this, it can be different depending on, on what the scenario is. But take us through, you, you know, maybe you get a call and you have to go in. Uh, how does that sort of work on a day-to-day basis with, with your Yeah, job? well, I mean... I guess I could say, first off, the number one thing why I love the job the best, and maybe it's not for everybody, is that we don't have typical days. Sure. And um, every day is, is completely different. You never know, especially in, in, in just being in California, you never know our our specific office covers the entire half of the state of Cal- Southern California. Okay. So, um, I don't know if you're familiar, but for my area, it would be from Fresno, which is basically the middle of the state, down to the Mexican border. Okay. So there could be a day that, uh, and we're kind of stationed in the center. So there could be a day that I'm in Fresno one day cleaning up a, a suicide, and the next day I could be in the Mexican border helping the Border Patrol because they had somebody cut themselves on the fence or something along those lines. Hmm. So, yeah, you never know. basic day is if you're not typically, you know, crime scenes obviously come at any time of the day, so they're not always scheduled. So basically it's a, it's a kind of a wait-by-your-phone type thing, but there's usually something every day. And it's just a matter of you get a call from the office and they tell you to come in, you report to the office, we use all their vehicles and equipment, we drive off to the site and we begin to work, whatever it may be. It could be uh, an undiscovered death that hasn't been, you know, that wasn't discovered for 30 days or it could have been, you know, unfortunate scenes where maybe it was a son who committed suicide uh, in their parents' home. So you just never know what's going to happen. Well, it's interesting you bring up some of these specific scenarios, and, and you'd mentioned schedule-wise how it might not be for everybody. And I would ask also, I mean, does it take any sort of emotional toll on you? I mean, coming into these situations, I mean, I know you said usually normally things are, are done by then, but you have the remnants of blood or other other parts sure. of what happened. I mean, does it does it affect you? Do you sort of, for lack of a better term, get used to it? I mean, what's that sort of like? You know what? I think it's one of those you could either do it or you can't, and mm-hmm. you know on that first day. Um, I'll be honest, we've had, we do have a little bit of a a turnover here and it's not mainly because of the work. It's, it's really because of the schedule. The schedule is very demanding here. It's not, and it is hard work. So with the hard work and the schedule, it's difficult to find the right fit and the right person who can, who can do this job. 
I mean, are there are there certain? I mean, for yourself, when you go in, I mean, are there scenarios or environments that are easier in terms of the the cleanup? Are there things that are more complicated in terms of uh, what's necessary? I guess what exactly are you doing when you're talking about cleaning up, whether it be uh, some sort of bodily fluid situation? Right. Well, you know, honestly, it's kind of like cleaning up anything else. Um, you you kind of have to think of it as if there was you know spilt milk on the floor, you would almost clean it the same way. Um, the one things that we don't get into too deep is is if it's uh, on fabric. Um, we don't spend time trying to clean fabric. Hmm. Um, if it's on carpet or on a couch, that's usually the portion of the biohazard is removed, cut and removed, and then it's up to the homeowner to have that replaced. Um, if it's in a home, a lot of times the homeowner's insurance will cover that, that service. Any type of hard surface, though, can be cleaned. And again, it's just like you would clean anything else, although we use you know, we want to use a hospital-grade disinfectant to make sure that as we're cleaning, it's being disinfected at the same time. You know, main concerns would be um, hepatitis. Hepatitis can, you know, live outside of the body up to, you know, we've been told, you know, three to three weeks to a month. So you want to, you know, you want to make sure that you're protected, and that's our main concern there. And then, you know, we have other conditions where not only do we do crime scenes, but there's other things that are involved. So sometimes there's tear gas, and we have to go out and clean tear gas, and we're stuck in an attic because the per- perpetrator was in the attic, and they tear gas the attic. Oh, wow. Suited up in an attic, and it's 100 degrees outside, and, you know, it's 130 in the attic. So there's definitely areas and times where it's not the most comfortable or glorious job, and you do a lot of sweating, that's for sure. <laughs> do you have any story that stands out? I mean, I, you know, we don't want to get too graphic necessarily, but maybe just something where it was a, an interesting situation or the individuals involved, it was sort of, you know, it stood out to you. I mean, just anything that you sort of think about or, or remember fondly in a way. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've probably done, I know I've done well over, you know, 300 scenes. So there's 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 quite a few and they all kind of blend together. You know, the, the, tra- the most tragic ones that kind of stick in your head are the families. You know, sure. uh, I don't know if it usually makes the news around the nation, but we've had a few families in the last year or a few family members who've kind of uh, unfortunately taken out the entire family. And that includes from the children to the spouse. And so those are, those are somewhat difficult to deal with. And, and, and it's, it's kind of, eerie being in that how in that home knowing the scene that that just had happened you know we've had other scenes and just tragic unbelievable times where somebody's just doing their normal job and next thing you know they've died and we've had i've cleaned up a scene where a gentleman was just changing the tire on a forklift and uh the tire exploded while he was filling it up and it decapitated him um We've had a lady, literally a lady who was just a, a, a little old lady who was carrying her plate from the t- dinner table to the kitchen. She tripped, plate broke, and slit her juggler, and she died. I mean, we come up with some, there really are some interesting and strange ways that people hurt themselves or, or pass away that, again, make these things, make the job, you know, somewhat interesting and, and kind of tragic at the same time. You know, we've done some car accidents where, I guarantee it'll make you never forget to put your seatbelt on because sure. of these things that these little fender benders that end up killing you because you didn't have your seatbelt on. There's just so many different ways that um, different things that happen that we come across. Now you mentioned you come in, you know, after the fact and everything. I mean, so are are the family members telling you what happened? Is somebody else filling you in? Because I can't imagine you can, de- you know, deduct what happened just by what you see. Uh, how does that work? Right. No, we typically that's that's correct. You know, if it's if the police are on scene, we we somewhat sometimes will kind of pick their brain and ask them. 
Um, family members will give us a little information. We try not, obviously, for you know the obvious reasons. We don't try to pry. Right. But a lot of times, you you'd be surprised how many people will just give up information and kind of tie the story. Or a lot of times, we get the large news stories that you hear in the news. True. We kind of true. know the stories from there, and then we kind of build our own way of, of seeing what happened by being right in the middle of it. You can kind of tell. I went on a case one time um, without getting too deep into it. I went on a case where a gentleman, this was a family case where he you know, he killed his entire family and in the news, and I, I think they did it for a good reason because they didn't want to make it sound so bad, but in the news they said that he just went in and he shot each individual family member. Well, when we actually got into the scene and we saw the amount of splatter and, and everything tossed around, there was obvious struggles that happened there and that, you know, that, that there's no way it could have just been a simple gunshot. Sure. Now for yourself, you mentioned some of these strange occurrences, you know, the, the woman who uh, cut herself uh, with a broken dish and the, even the gentleman who was, was filling up a tire. I mean, does that make you think twice when you're out in your everyday life or, or sort of are you extra cautious because you realize that just something really weird could happen and, and it would be unfortunate incident for you? Yeah, yes and no. I mean, I, I, you know, without getting too, philosophy, you know, in too much of philosophy, I definitely have learned in this job that when it's your time, it's your time. Huh. That's you know my personal opinion, because I've seen you know these so many different ways that people die, and they definitely weren't expecting it. That it's just there's not much that you can do about it. That's you know that's mainly what I've seen. Uh, you know, like I said, I definitely wear my seatbelt in every car that I get in. It's the first thing I do because I've seen a lot of tragedies, just simply accidents. Right. But because they weren't wearing the seatbelt, somebody flew through a windshield or was knocked out because they hit their head, you know, so there's those instances. But no, I, I try I try to leave work at, at work, and, and when I get home, I, I kind of just live my life the way I normally would. But, yeah, every once in a while you, you see something, and you're like, whoa. It kind of, you know, you kind of take a step back. Sure. You mentioned kind of earlier you sort of ended up having a passion for it and sort of loving it. I guess what what is it exactly? Like why why would you say you do? Because I'm sure there are people listening right now thinking like this is just insane. Like I could never do something like that. And, you know, there may be other people right. are thinking, oh, it's it's kind of interesting. Or as you said, the day changes. Each day is different. Um, what, right. what? How is it you can say you enjoy it or, or, or love it or have a passion for it? Well, the main thing, you know, for me is, is personally is I, I'm definitely not a, a desk job type of guy. Sure. So the fact that it's so different every day and you never know what's going to happen, that that's my main passion for it is that I, I love being in different places and different atmospheres and, and love being challenged every day. As far as, you know, that's that's the main reason why I love it. I, it also is, a, it really is a true service. You know, we're kind of one of those untalked about services, mm-hmm. but it's we have people come up to us all the time who say, you know, oh, my my aunt committed suicide and I didn't know what to do and I had to clean it myself. I mean, those are the types of things and stories that we're trying to avoid and, and trying to help. At the end of the day, it's it's something you can feel challenged and feel good about that you help somebody through some through a tragic time. Well, and as, as you sort of you know alluded to there, you don't really know, you don't even think about this type of position until something, you know, unfortunately does happen to you or somebody you know and, and realize that there is that process to it. So as you said, it definitely is a service. Right, now, right. I mean, do you come across, I mean, are there certain dangers for yourself when you're involved in, in the cleanup? And I mean, is there a certain amount of, of risk of anything when you're, when you're working? Well, absolutely. I mean, that, and that's, that would contest to why we, you know, somewhat charge what we charge. You know, we're, we're, we're providing a professional service 
and we take a lot of the risk. You right. know, if, if if we're dealing with a dead body um, or, you know, the the fluids from a dead body and that person had AIDS or hepatitis or some other type of communicable disease, you know, there's a good, not necessarily a good chance because we should be well protected and if, as long as we're wearing our protective gear, there should be no issues there. But there is that slight chance and that risk that you take by going out here that you could possibly catch one of the um, diseases. You know, we do get uh, hep dots so that we can protect ourselves against that, but you never know um, when it's up. And then you have your normal safety issues that you have to deal with. If you're in an attic, you have to be cautious there for your head and things like that. We've worked underneath houses. Um, we've worked on building tops and balconies and things like that. So you never know what position this may put you in as far as safety. You know, you, know, you brought up the idea that, or the point that it is, obviously you charge what you charge because, for a reason, because it is professional service. Um, now for yourself or for anyone who's working in this business, I mean, is it financially beneficial? Can you sort of give a ballpark for the listeners who maybe would be weighing, okay, could I do this versus is it worth it? Not that money's everything, but as far as compensation sure. or benefits, uh, I guess, give us a, just an sure. idea of what it's like. I can only speak for our company. Sure. I would imagine every other company runs differently or, or it could be similar. Um, our company does try to take care of our employees as best as possible. So, you know, we do get uh, after there is a six-month period to where we come in and, and just because it's a learning curve, well, after that six months, um, full benefits are offered, medical and dental, and then, um, you know, possibly pay increases, things like that. The hour, it's, it's an hourly wage, and it can go, it can start anywhere from $15 an hour to go up. Really, we have never seen anybody tap out, but it could go, I would imagine, anywhere from 25 to $30 an hour. You know, and you can make a pretty decent living on that. You, you Obviously, you get paid for overtime and double time if you fall into those categories. So I've been doing it for six years, and I've been able to support my family on my living and, and, and also being able to say that I have a job that I enjoy and that I like. So, you know, to me, those, those are all very important things. So is it something that, I mean, are you always on call or are there windows where you're on call? I guess, how does that work with your hours and, and whatnot? Yeah, well, uh, the company's grown a lot since I started. When okay. I first started, it was kind of a 24-hour call type situation. Um, we've gotten, luckily, we've gotten a lot busier now and being more busy means we've been able to hire more technicians, which means we've been able to be more of a, uh, be put on more of a schedule. So now the technicians were all on call one night a week, and at this period it's um, one month, one weekend a month. That and it's on call just means for us is that you just need to be around town and be able to respond within a reasonable amount of time. Mm -hmm. it doesn't stop our lives. We don't have to stay at home and stand by the phone, um, but we do need to be prepared to come into work if if something comes in. And uh, you know it happens. It definitely happens uh, more often than not. You get some tragedies on a weekend, and, and as you know, sometimes these things can't wait till Monday, so we need to come in there. Um, there's been times where I've been called out at 10 o'clock at night, and I have to go drive three hours before I even get to the job, and so we're starting the job basically at one in the morning, and you're working through the night. Hmm. And um, it's just part of the – It's, it's it, you have to know that coming in. It's just kind of part of the service. Other companies don't do that. Other companies will make the client wait till the next morning. We feel that that's just not, you know, Again, we're providing them a service and their clients come first, and that's the sacrifice that we make in order to, to run this company. Now, as we're sort of uh, kind of wrapping things up here, I guess, is there anything that you would want to share, uh, anything else with, you know, so maybe somebody 
has some sort of idea that they want to get into this or they're looking for a career change or maybe it was a circumstance where they did get laid off and they're just looking for something, even if it's part-time, something like this. What would be your advice? What would be your sort of thoughts towards this type of position um, that you could offer up? For me, like I said, it's different every day. I, I, love, the, I love the service that we provide and, and, and helping people. A lot of people that we find when we, when we have people come in for interviews and, and apply for the position, a lot of people think and assume the job's a lot more glorious than it really is. Sure. I mean, we're kind of the unspoken job in, in, in the act of, what, of what's going on there. Nobody really talks about us, and a big comment that we get from a lot of our clients, and actually the best comment that we can get is, thank you so much for your work. I hope I never see you again. <laughs> and so we understand that. We absolutely understand that, and, and we agree. We hope we never have to see them again either under those circumstances. And emotionally, it can be tough. You know, you you are dealing with people who have just lost a loved one, and there's times where you need to give somebody a hug, or they'll come hug you, and, and you need to be able to to accept that. We had a, an employee who worked for us for, for a while who was a um, retired inmate officer. Great guy, did great work for us, but his compassion was kind of lacking with some of the... Uh, with some of our clients, and that's just because of the way he was. He hadn't been compassionate for 30 years because he was dealing with inmates. So you need to be able to control your emotions at the same time be emotional with your, with your clients. Um, you know, and it's definitely not as glorious as what people think it may be. Well, Robert, I mean, the, the types of things that you and your coworkers do, as you said, it, you know, it is o- often overlooked, but obviously it's it's important. There's a need professionally for, uh, you know, crime scene cleaners or however you want to phrase that. Obviously, the, the safe cleanup, and you mentioned just being a service uh, for those individuals who unfortunately had something happen to them like that. Now, if people were interested in finding out more about your organization, uh, at least maybe get ideas as to, to what this field is like, uh, how can they find you guys? Uh, definitely on our website, crimecleaners.com or stereclean.com. That's S-T-E-R-I-clean.com. Um, those are our business websites, and they can kind of get an idea of what we do there, um, what kind of other services we provide as well. All right, great. Well, thanks again for joining us, Robert. We do appreciate the, uh, the inside look. No problem. Thanks, Tim. That, once again, is our guest, Robert McKeever, a uh, senior field technician with Crime Scene Stary Clean out of California. Now, as usual, we encourage all of you to send us any comments or suggestions for any of our shows, really. Maybe you're curious about uh, a different non-traditional type job. Just shoot us an email at ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. That will wrap it up for this edition of You Do What? here on LJN Radio. I'm your host, Tim Muma. Take care, everyone. <music>